0: Morning. we're ending a series we've been in the last six weeks called In the Beginning, where we've been talking about the book of Genesis, but more specifically, we've been taking a look at a couple of different stories of people throughout the book of Genesis, seeing that these are real people experiencing real things, and what can we draw out of that book for us today uh, in our lives. And the through line that we've seen is uh, through each and every story that we've gone through, and that we'll even see continued today, is that this isn't just a book from long ago, but but that this is true. That the Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse of the old of the in the Genesis of the Old Testament. That when we see the decisions and the, and the the implications of the actions of these people that we're watching in life, to where Adam makes a mistake, Eve makes a mistake, they fall and they cause sin to enter the world. When we see people turning away from God, that the, the curses, the things that are brought about, the human condition that happens as a result of these, the answer to those is Jesus from the New Testament. So even though the Old Testament is before Jesus is here, since God is here, has been here since the beginning, and God is the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the answer to all of that from the very, very beginning. It wasn't a backup plan. He is the plan. Amen. Amen. And so, as we've seen the past couple weeks, we've looked back at Adam and we've seen, you know, the uh, creation and the fall. We've talked about Noah and the flood. We've talked about Abraham being the chosen uh, 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 vessel through which God's going to build his people here on earth. And then Isaac, the promise, is continued there. And with Jacob, kind of the extension, this is Shin last week talking about Jacob. And that nation of Israel, where his name kind of gets changed, his identity changes. And that nation of Israel starts to be formed here on earth. And so today we're actually going to be talking about one of Jacob's sons named Joseph. Okay, Joseph. So Joseph is one of, uh, of Jacob's, son, or, yeah, Jacob's sons, and we want to take a look at the timeline, kind of where this all fits into the piece of history, because these are real people experiencing real things. So the timeline looks a little bit like this. We've looked at the past couple of weeks where we've got creation, the flood. so several thousand years have kind of happened during the duration of the, of the, the people we've looked at so far. So we're talking around 1745. This is B.C., right? And I think even more important than when Joseph is happening is the context of where Joseph is living and existing, right? So this is the time of the rise of Egypt and the time of, you know, slaves where we see, you know, the Hebrew nation, uh, they're going to be shifted into a role of slavery as they grow. Um, But more importantly, this is where the rise of Egypt is happening, you know, the times of Pharaohs, you know, that time of great prosperity in that region. And we're going to see how that plays out in Joseph's story today. Um, but the theme for today, the theme through Joseph's story is what I'm most excited to talk to you about, because Joseph's cool, his story's bananas, like we're going to talk a lot about that, but the thing that I'm most excited about when it comes to Joseph is the theme and the thread we see through his entire story, and I think it has implications for you and your life today, and that theme is provision, provision, okay, because I think so often we put ourselves in situations where we feel like it's about us trying to provide for our hopes, our dreams, our desires. Nod your head if you're with me. And I feel like our culture pushes us to try harder, to hustle more, to be the thing that you know, puts you over the top. Like this is the life that we live and this is the culture that we live in where it's not a bad, like hard work is not a bad thing. That's not what we're saying and working towards things that you feel like God's calling you to is not a bad thing. But ultimately, you're not in charge of how that plays out in your life. Ultimately, God is our provider. And as we see in Joseph's story, time and time and time again, God provides for Joseph. And what's crazy about this is it's not just about, you know, the great things that we're going to see. So how do we define provision? Provision I define like this. It says this, the action of providing or supplying something for use. let's keep this up for a second. So the action, it's not just a thing, it's a thing that's happening. You see that? It's not just a one-time piece, it's something that happens, and more importantly, it's meant for use. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this today, but every time something's provided for Joseph, you'll see that he has to respond. Does that make sense? So even though God might provide something for us, if we don't do anything with it, it's not meant, or it's not being used as it's meant to be utilized, a provision is meant to be used, okay? Some examples that you might see in the life of Joseph, these are, it could be positive things like his family. His family could be his provision. Uh, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing, you'll see. Uh, his dreams, God gives him dreams and it helps him. It gives him a gift of interpretation of, of those dreams. Uh, that's a really cool thing, it's a cool provision. But there's also, also things in his life that are not great that are used as provision like um, uh, false claims against him, being sold into slavery, um, a famine and drought that kind of wrecks, like wrecks this area. Not just like, oh, we're down, but like there's no food anywhere. And God uses all these things as provision for Joseph and ultimately for his nation of people that he's developing, growing through this family lineage. To put it another way, it's, it's connected to the promises of God. Because, again, we've looked back and we've seen how in every interaction with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, all these people, God is interacting with them, and he's making promises. He's saying, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will build a great nation to bless all nations on the earth through you, Abraham, which is then reinforced with Isaac and Jacob. Nod your head if you've been with us a little bit. You're catching the, the drift here. So he's make, God is making these promises, and I believe that if God promises something, then he will provide for that promise. If God promises, then he will provide for that promise. And you're seeing a little bit of my Baptist roots come out right now, because uh, to say it another way, his promises precede his provision. That's good. Don't tell me anything else. That's good. His promises precede his provision. So if God promises something, he's not just leaving you in your own, all right, cool, figure it out. I promise I will be your God and you will be my people. Figure it out. Yes, there's free will involved, but ultimately, if God promises, he's going to provide. Amen? Amen. So we're going to see this time and time again. And again, this is not just, uh, if you get anything out today, I want you to get this. We're looking at the story of Joseph so that we might be reminded of the truth that God is still providing for us today. It's not just something that used to happen or that we see in a story, but this is about the faithfulness of God in your life. And I hope this morning you're able to shift your perspective a little bit so you can see the things that you're going through, the things that you've been through, the good and the bad. They are all provision from God to get you to where he needs and wants you to be in life. The story of Joseph is a story of provision. So, let's jump in. So, the first, I'm going to cut this up into a couple different sections, and, and I'm not going to, we're not going to read through all the different scriptures because we've been here for a long time this morning, so I'm going to summarize little bits and pieces and poke into the story as we need to. So, the first part we're going to talk about are the family dynamics, okay, so we left off with Jacob last week, and he's, uh, Shin did a great job of talking through Jacob's life, and how he wanted to marry Rachel, but then uh, uh, his father, they tossed in uh, Leah instead, right, so he ends up marrying this woman, but then he has to work a little bit longer to get Rachel, y'all with me, come on, we're together a little bit, okay, if not, go back and read your Bible, it's gonna be great, so there's this whole family dynamic, and what's crazy about this, if you just do, let's just do the math, let's not even like read into it, just the facts is this, we've got two wives, we got four moms, we got 12 sons. Snap. That's ridiculous. And Shinny was talking last week about how like we if we take the time to read our Bibles, like this is gonna be better than anything you're gonna see on Bravo. Like this is on like legit reality TV going on. Because again, these are real people living real lives. We got t- two wives, you know, Leah and Rachel. We've got four moms. It's Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah Bilhah and Zilpah were the like servants of Leah and Rachel that they kind of loaned out to have more kids, because it was kind of a kid-having competition, right? Does that make sense? And then we ultimately have 12 sons, and these 12 sons, remember, God changed Jacob's identity, as we saw last week, renaming him Israel, right? And you've probably heard this concept, this idea of the 12 tribes of Israel. Nod your head if you've heard that idea before, Um, and maybe you've never read the Bible before. You're still probably aware of that kind of idea. These 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the start of those groups of people, does that make sense? So, with Leah, which is kind of like his, it's Jacob's kind of like less preferred wife, right? He kind of got snuck into the deal. That includes the oldest son, Reuben, okay, he's the oldest, we got Simeon, we got Levi, and Levi is going to be where like the priests come from. Okay, just trying to connect your dots here as we're thinking about the Old Testament. Levi is where like the priests are going to come from down the road. That's the line that comes from. You have Judah, who also comes from Leah. Judah is actually the line of Jesus. And this is I, this is kind of an aside. I thought this was really interesting because in this culture, the importance is on birth order. Okay, you'll see that a lot. Where, like the first son. Like they won't even list the rest of them because the first one's the only one that matters. You know what I mean? It's interesting here that Judah is one of the ones kind of snuck away because it ties to other pieces from the beginning of the Bible as we see the lineage of Jesus go forward. I just think that's interesting. So Judah, we got Issachar and Zebulun. So that's all Leah's kids, as if that's enough. We've also got Rachel. Remember, that's his preferred wife. That's his love. That's like the girl he was longing after. That's who he wants to be with. And so he had two sons with Rachel, Joseph, who we're talking about today, and Benjamin. Benjamin. So let's keep those in mind, because that's going to be a really important part of the story today. We've also got Dan and Naphtali, who are with Bilhah, and Zilpah had Gad and Asher. That's a freaking busload of kids. Like, you're riding around one of those sprinter vans with those kids. You know what I mean? So we've got a whole family dynamic here, and not only that, it's a pretty contentious situation. Because what happens is, God gives uh, uh, Joseph these dreams, Okay? And in both the dreams, essentially what happens is he's setting up this scenario where the first one, like there's a bunch of bundles of wheat, and there's 12 of them, 12 sons, right? And Joseph's wheat stood up strong. The other one's bowed down before that. And guess what Joseph did? He went and told his brothers, hey, guys, this is really cool. Mine stood up. Yours bowed down. Isn't that awesome? They didn't respond well to that. They're saying, so you're saying we're going to bow down to you. You're going to be our king. Not a great start. Again, another dream comes along where the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to this other star, Joseph. Does that make sense? So he tells his whole family this time, so his brothers and mom and dad. And dad gets in on this time, he's like, you're really trying to tell me we're going to bow down before you? And what's interesting, if you look at the end of that passage, you see his dad kind of start to, even though he gets offended initially, that's his initial response, he starts to think of like, well, "What? maybe there's something more to this, maybe there's something more to what Jacob is, or sorry, what Joseph is experiencing here. And again, these are real people living real life. Like, it, think about your son or your daughter or your family. If they came to you and were like, hey, I had this really cool dream. And like they told that to you, you'd probably be a little offended too, right? So this family dynamic is not all happy, clappy, everything's all good. It's actually kind of contentious where Joseph is not trying to cause trouble. He's just trying to share what God is doing in his life. But his family's not ready To receive that. Does that make sense? So there's this really kind of contentious relationship. And then what happens next is essentially a betrayal by his brothers. His brothers betray him. This isn't like a subtle, like they stole his food or like they took his thing that he really liked. No, like, this is ridiculous. It's like, a, anybody watching Yellowstone a little bit, right? You can't watch that show without thinking, these are horrible people doing horrible things, and I can't watch this anymore. So this unfolds like an episode of Yellowstone, just people doing bad things to bad people, like back and forth. So what happens, we see here, um, he's kind of coming down the road. Joseph's looking for his brothers. They're all out tending sheep. That's kind of what they do. So he's looking for his brothers, right? And he finds him. He's walking towards him. We see this in Genesis 37. So says, when Joseph's brothers saw his, him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, uh, they made plans to kill him. Cool, subtle. Uh, Here comes a dreamer, they said. It continues on. Uh, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So to put it lightly, they really didn't like the dreams, right? They're saying, we're going to kill him. Let's just end this now. What ends up happening is Reuben, the oldest brother, steps in and says, guys, there's no, let's, okay, you would think like maybe he's going to be the voice of reason. Let's not kill him. Maybe let's like rough him up a little bit. Let's be brothers, right? Because if anybody's got brothers, you know you're going to wrestle at some point. So maybe let's do a little bit of that, but let's not kill him. There's no need to shed blood. Well, he goes a step further. He says, no, let's just throw him in that well over there, like an empty well. So they go, great idea. So they throw him in a well, which is not great, right? Right? And then they kind of talk a little bit more. They actually, Joseph got a special robe from his dad because there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob, and, and Jacob had given him this really nice robe. You've probably seen the musical on Broadway about it, you know, the Technicolor dream coat kind of thing. He had this really cool robe of many colors is kind of how they put it. Shin was trying to get me to wear one, by the way, just for the record, and I said no. Um, so they took his robe, they tore it up, they put blood on it. Like, they made it look pretty gnarly, but they threw him in the well, and they're still kind of like, well, we should probably, let's just kill him. Let's just take him out because... Reuben's no longer there. And then Judah steps up again. And you're like, okay, maybe another brother's going to say, guys, let's knock it off. Let's get him out of the web. No, he says, let's not kill him. That doesn't do anything good for us. I love this perspective. It doesn't do anything good for us. Let's sell him. They're going to sell their brother into slavery. This is a real story. This is real people going through real things. And they literally sold their brother into slavery. Travelers are coming by. They said, hey, you want a brother? This is great. They give him some money. They put him off. And then they go home with the torn robe dipped in blood. And they go talk to their father. And they basically cover the whole thing up. Right? So they send those traders on their way to Egypt with their, their brother Joseph, never to be seen again. I mean, like, what's the plan there? Like, let's just sell him. It'll be fine. So they go home and, and tell their, their dad he died. He got eaten by this animal. Here's his coat. And Jacob is just distraught. Because remember, there's a special relationship there between the two of them. He loved Joseph. It's not just like, like you'll see in a lot of these stories, like it's straight up favoritism. Like it, he is his favorite son because his favorite wife, like his girl, this is his first son with her. You see that? So Joseph held a very special place for Jacob. So he is just completely distraught. So let's take a, let's take a pause and look at this part of the story about how God provided in this moment. I see three things that pop up. First, we've got Reuben, right? Reuben is the first provision to where Jacob was gonna, or sorry, Joseph was gonna die. Like he was gonna get killed by his brothers. But Reuben steps in and says, let's put him in the well. Like, not a great provision. Like if I'm like rating that on a scale of one to ten for God, like not my I'm not maybe three. Like I didn't die, so that's cool. But he gets him in the well. Even though that's a hard thing and a really not fun thing to go through, it's still a provision that was made for Joseph. Same thing with Judah. They wanted to kill him again. And instead, Judah selling his brother into slavery was a provision from God. That is crazy to think about. There's no place where you, if you're opting into like the things you want God to do for you, you're not like, I'll take a blessing. I'll take sold into slavery. I'll take, that's not how your brain is processing. But the truth of this story is that Judah arranging for him to be sold into slavery is part of the provision of God for Joseph. And finally, there's traders, the Ishmaelite traders, which, if you do the math here, go back two generations. So we had Joseph and his brothers, you got Jacob, and you got Isaac. Who's Isaac's brother? Ishmael. So this is like family. They're selling to other family traders. Doesn't make sense? So it's a distance family. But in North Carolina, we call those people cousins, right? That's how we work. So this is like people that are related to, right? But What's interesting is where they're heading. They're heading to Egypt, which is what God needed, or that's where God needed Joseph to be. So Joseph is being provided for in the midst of these, this really difficult situation, using things that we might not call provision. But the story continues on. This is like the rise and fall from Grace. So as he gets to Egypt, this is all, like, what's about to happen is, again, all context for what's going to happen with his family. Because the through line, the story I want you to focus on here, is what happens with Joseph and his family. Because everything he's about to go through is all set up for what's going to happen with his family. And so we see Joseph go into Egypt, and what happens here, this is in uh, Genesis 39, says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, because he was sold to, he was given to a a man named Potiphar, right? Who was a guard, he was like a captain of the guard for uh, Pharaoh, pretty important guy, like pretty high up, so he gets sold to him, and the most important part of this is that the Lord was with Joseph. So what happened is that he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master, which is Potiphar, and it continues here in verse five. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. So Potiphar's stock and all his things went up and got more and more successful not to to bless Potiphar. Like, that was kind of a fringe benefit of that for Potiphar. But ultimately, it's for Joseph's sake. Why? Because God was providing for Joseph even in the midst of slavery because all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. It's all good, god is providing for joseph in the midst of being a slave this is not a job he picked up and cool i'm excited about this no he is a slave everything you're hearing about over the next like period of time he's a slave this entire time he's indentured to these people because he was sold to them this is not a situation he opted into but rather a provision god has made for him even slavery a terrible thing that should not be happening to people. People should not be treated like goods and something to be bought and sold. But even a thing like that, God will use for good, as we see here. Now, so it's all good. Everything's prospering. But then I call this the uh-oh moment. So this is in, in verse 6. It says this, Joseph was very handsome and well-built young man. A weird rip for the Bible to pull out there. That's a weird detail. But it's true. So he's very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Uh-oh. Uh, Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Okay, so she's bringing the thunder. Like, she's coming hard at him, trying to get this to happen. And Joseph's response could be one of two things here. You can say, okay, cool, I'm a slave. Like, why not take benefit? You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not, he's a slave. He's not indentured to this person because of he's paying him, he's doing nice things for him. He's a slave. Like, he could choose to say, my character doesn't matter. I just want to make a decision that's selfish for me here. Instead, Joseph makes a decision to stay faithful to what God has called him to do as a person, which is to be in the position he's in. So we see him. He actually says, no, no, thank you. And then she comes on even harder. And he's like, no, I'm out of here. And he bounces, but she grabs his robe as he's running out, again with the robe. What is it with him? So they grab the robe. He gets out of there. So she's standing there with the robe and goes, help, help. And all the servants come, like the you know, guard people come. And she's like, listen, Joseph was trying to take advantage of me and trying to rape me. This is bad. We need to get him. Like totally lying, completely false Claims. I mean, he was trying to be upright and do right by Potiphar, but instead, the wife kind of turns the script on him, right? So what happens? Potiphar uh, decides to throw him in jail. We see this in verse 19. It says this. It's kind of like one step forward, fifteen steps back. Because Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Let's stay here for a second. So now let's keep score for Joseph. So not only is he a slave, now he's a prisoner slave. That's like a downgrade. That's not awesome. Like, that's not the trajectory you want to go. I guess if there's a trajectory for slaves, that's not like the, you know, the the path you want to go on, right? So now he's a slave and he's in prison, but how can God provide for him there? Well, let's take a look. This is verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden before long... The warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. God continues to provide for Joseph, not through a thing he gives him or anything extra, it's simply himself. God's provision for Joseph, as he's a slave entering Potiphar's house and as he's a slave prisoner entering the prison, is God's presence. God is with him. And as a result, uh, he flourishes in those settings. You know, at Potiphar's house, he becomes head of all those things. And in the prison now, he's even over other prisoners. God was Joseph's provision. And he was a slave. It just blows my mind that even in the midst of a really terrible situation, God is continuing to provide for this man. Now, the next part of the story focuses on Pharaoh's problem and Jay's... I'm a big nickname guy, so I'm going to call him Jay. So Jay's comeback. So Pharaoh's problem, it it all kind of, again, continues to set up for where he's going to be with his family. So all this sets up for, for where we're going to go, but Jay helps others in jail. So Joseph's helping these other two guys. One's a, you know, a baker, one's a cupbearer, the guy who tastes the wine before the king has it. And actually, we're back to dreams now, okay? So each of the guys has a dream, and they're kind of similar. They all have numbers related to it. And basically, Joseph's like, well, yours means in three days you're going to die. In three days, you're going to be good, right, to the cupbearer. Cupbearer's going to be good, baker's going to be dead. And that's exactly what happens. It's crazy, right? So, like, you would think the cupbearer would be like, thank you for the relief. This is awesome. But actually what happens is he completely forgets about him because he's restored to his position and has no memory of Joseph, so it doesn't even help him out, right? So he leaves Joseph behind. He's just behind in, the, in the, uh, the prison. However, some time goes by. He's still a prisoner and still a slave this entire time. He's running things down there, making things run smoothly, Right? But then Pharaoh has some dreams, right? Folks be having some dreams around here. And his dream is just like pretty crazy. Like there's, there's numbers involved and he doesn't understand it. So he's, he's just kind of in anguish over this. He doesn't know what to do because it's happening over and over. And the cupbearer's like, oh snap, there's this guy in prison who told me my dream and this other guy's dream and basically connects the dots. And it's like, Pharaoh, you should talk to this guy, right? And so Pharaoh pulls Joseph up and Joseph's like, now listen, it's not me, it's God. Like God's doing this through me, but I'll help you. I'll do my best. So He listens. And essentially what he does is he kind of lays out what's going to happen in the next 14 years in this land. Because he says, your dream's telling us that for the next seven years, things are going to be great. Like we're going to produce all the grain, all the food, all the harvest. It's going to be awesome. And then the next seven years, it's going to be rough. Like there's going to be no food, there's no water. People are going to come from all around like to try and find food. And so not only does he tell them this, but then Joseph kind of goes on and starts to like, just share his own thoughts and advice here. He says, what you should do over the next couple of years is let's, let's really take advantage of these seven years, store it up, store it up, store it up, and then we'll dull it out. Pharaoh's kind of listening. It's all starting to click for him in his head. And he actually has this realization, which I think is really cool, where what he says about Joseph is he says, can we find another man who's so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Why would we get anyone else to do this for him? Just for a break for a second, what if that's what people said about you? Not because of you like spreading your faith at church, but just you being who you are, a person of integrity, a person who cares for others with great empathy and sympathy for others who's able to care, and just be a person who's seen, the love of God is just seen so obviously through you that people see you as, why would we get anyone else for this other than this person, because God is obviously with them. That would just be incredible. So that was just Pharaoh's perspective of Joseph in that moment. So he puts Joseph over this this project, pulls him out of the prison. So he goes from person being a slave, head of that person's household, prisoner slave. And then Pharaoh tosses him to basically what he becomes over the next seven years is essentially the second highest person in the government, basically, the governor of Egypt okay, to where he's over this entire project, he's done incredibly well, he's been able to have a family, like his life goes on from this point, because God provided the right time and the right place for him to use what God had given him, do you see that? He has this gift of interpretation, but without being in the right place at the right time, which doesn't happen without slavery, which doesn't happen without being put in prison, do you see that? The things that God had provided long ago, the things he went through that he probably cursed that he had to go through were the things that he received from God so that he would be in the right place at the right time to use the right gift that he had given him. Do you see that? It's the same for you and me. The things that we walk through in life are to help position us into the places God needs us to be utilized by him for his purposes. It's incredible. So just to catch us up, we're now in the place where it's, it's, the famine is kind of happening Uh, Joseph's been around for many years. He's managing the situation wonderfully. He's very successful. He's a big deal in Egypt now, right? Now, this is kind of where it shifts into the final act. And this is where the family comes back into the picture. Because the whole time, they've kind of been back home living their life, right? So life is going on without Joseph. Remember, dad thinks Joseph is dead because he got the bloody shirt, right? So you can only imagine what that would do to a person where, like, your son, uh, uh, we don't play favorites, at least we don't tell him. We don't play favorites. But his favorite son right is dead so now his focus has kind of shifted from joseph because that's rachel's first son to now his second son benjamin does that make sense so now benjamin's kind of in that role for jacob he's, he's kind of valuing benjamin as that person so he sends his sons off to try and get some food for him because they legit do not have food like there's no food anywhere so people from all over and if you look at a map Egypt's actually really well placed in the Middle East to be kind of that central hub. It's kind of over on the top of Africa. And so people are coming from as far away from like the middle of of the Middle East, that is, uh, from where like kind of modern day Israel and and, um, all that area is. And they're coming all the way down to Egypt, which is not a quick journey, right? So they're coming, and this is bananas. So they come and they actually interact with Joseph, can you imagine what that must have been like to where Joseph's the one kind of managing it, and he sees his family come up, but because he looks different, this is years and years later, they don't recognize him. So they're talking to him, and he must be freaking out. Because not only is it like, how, how, I mean, just think of what he might be feeling. First, he's like excited as he's feeling like, what this is incredible. But also like, how dare they come to me? Like, let's just be real for a second. Like, human nature's going to kick into Joseph's story in a second. He's not a perfect person. But we'll see several times where that kicks in for him to where I would absolutely feel the need to like flex a little bit because I'm number two. I could drop you guys and I could do whatever I want to because I'm the the guy around here. But instead, what happens is this. They don't recognize him, so he's super harsh to them. Like he drops the hammer. He puts him in prison. He's kind of processing what's going on here. Um, But then he kind of takes a breath, takes a breather, and he's like, you know what What I really want? Is I want to see my brother. Because, again, 12 sons. We have four moms You know, the only one that's his like full brother, not that half brothers don't count because it's important too, but his full brother is Benjamin, right? But he's not there because Benjamin stayed back. Jacob's protecting Benjamin. So he tells his brothers, go get, he kind of heard them talk. So like they're not like, how do you know about our brother? He kind of heard them talking and said, you go tell your father, you bring your youngest uh, brother back and all that kind of stuff because he wants to see Benjamin. And so they're like, okay, so he lets him go. Gives them all full feed. They go home, explain it to Jacob. And Jacob's like, no, heck no, not going to happen. You are not taking Benjamin. Jude actually kind of steps up and says, no, I'll protect them. All the things. Okay, All that's happening to get us to this point right here, because they come back. They have Benjamin. Okay, And they kind of walk into a feast. Like So Jacob, or Joseph is kind of preparing this setting for them to come back and and you know, be taken care of. It's like a first-class treatment. But he still puts him in prison because I mean, that's what you do with your brothers who put, sell you to slavery. You put them in prison. That's what you do. And so he's having this situation where they're in prison, and the facilitation of the conversation is happening through a translator. Okay, so they don't know Joseph can tell what they're saying, right? Because Joseph speaks two languages. He, he can tell like he speaks what the Egyptians are speaking. He speaks the Hebrew that they're speaking but they've been talking through a translator. So they're talking to each other, thinking they just kind of have it to themselves. But Joseph can hear what's happening there. So we see this in the next passage in in, uh, chapter 43. It goes here. After greeting them, he asked them through a translator, how's your father, the old man you spoke of? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant is alive and well. And this is important here. And they bowed low again. Stay here for a second. Isn't this exactly the dream that he had? You see that? The very first dream where his stock, his his bundle stood tall, the others bowed below. This is the exact scenario years and years and years prior when he was a little boy sharing this, this dream that he had to his brothers who totally dismissed him. It's exactly what's happening in his life. Those dreams were not just an aberration. They were a prediction and a prophecy of what was going to happen in his life. And it continues on. Here and says this with the brothers. So then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother, his like full brother. Like this is the one that they share mother and father. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked, may God be gracious to you, my son. And this is the most human part of this, is how he reacts from this. He says this in the next verse. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and he wept. For years, he never thought he'd ever see his brothers again. Now, his own real true brother is in this room. He's been able to see him with his own eyes, and he wants to be mad. Like, you got to imagine, he just wants to just throw these guys in their own well, put them in slavery, see them suffer the same thing he suffered. I would feel that way. Maybe you're a good Christian person, not like me, but I would feel that way. So I understand how he's feeling in this moment. But at the same time, he has another emotion hidden, which is empathy. He hurts for his brothers because they're in a place of disadvantage. They're hungry. They're, they need to provide for their families, which is ultimately Joseph's family as well. So he has this moment where he kind of breaks down. He says oh, he sends them back. He sends them back. But then he has another moment of, of kind of human nature where he fills up their stuff. He's like, okay, go back, go back, go back. But he wants to create a situation where he gets the best of it for himself to like bump all my brothers, but I want to keep Benjamin. That's essentially what he's trying to create here, Okay. So he sends them home, but he tells his servant, he's like, hey, here's my silver cup. Put it in one of their bags, put it in Benjamin's bag, like on the feed. So as they go, we're going to ride up, kind of like a, a, like a stop and frisk kind of situation with the cops. So they send them off, they kind of ride up. they're like, hey, we think you stole something. They're like, what? They open up Benjamin's bag, there's a silver cup, you with me? He it from the bad, bring him back, okay? Judah jumps up because he promised his dad, nothing bad will happen to him, dad, I promise so Judah jumps up, and they're in the kind of all talking together, and Judah's like, take me, don't take him, you know, I'll stay in his place, and just kind of stepping in for his brother, and again, this moment of human interaction breaks Joseph down, and he ha- he's kind of, I can just see it in, in my own mind of him having all these pieces kind of converge together, of seeing like what his actions have brought like how his brothers maybe are different people now because it's been years and years by. Doesn't make what they did okay, but it does say that people can change over time, right? And what it does is I feel like he's also seeing the provision of God in his own life. And so it causes him to break down. He kind of actually shares, you know, all the perspective that he has that they don't. So this is in chapter 45. Joseph says this. He's talking to his brothers. He says, please come closer. Like, look at me, look at me. He said to them. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Now, this next part is really, really important. This is where he ties it all together for them, helping them to see how God's provided for them. He says this in verse five. But don't be upset, brothers, and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. He's kind of letting them off the hook. Like, from the get-go, he's saying, don't be angry, like, basically, it's okay, because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. He continues on says this, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors, all the other people that are coming to be benefit of this. Because if, Jude, if Joseph doesn't see this coming, imagine if they didn't know this was coming, right? A huge drought's coming, we had years of living fat, you're expecting it to keep going. You see that? We expect it to be more and more, all the grains gonna be good, and then it just cuts off. Not only would Egypt be at a disadvantage, but everyone that Egypt is benefiting would be cut off as well. And actually, it's a very real like opportunity that the, the tribes of Israel, those 12 sons, could have been cut off right there because there's no food to sustain them. God promised those men, I will make you a great nation, your descendants larger than the grains of sand. That doesn't happen if they're not alive. Do you see that? God promised, and he has provision for that promise. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of Egypt. It was God, not you. Like, you might have made the decision, but God was the one providing for us for today, for tomorrow, for what is to come. And they, they can kind of continue on from there, and there's, there's actually a, a moment a few chapters later where Jacob's passed and the brothers are together. And I feel like if, if Jacob's, sorry, if Joseph is talking to, there's too many J names, if Joseph is talking to his sons and his grandsons and, and the people who are to come, the tribe of Israel, right? When he's talking to them and remembering the goodness of God and what God has done, I feel like this one verse, if you take nothing away, when you consider the provision of God for For Joseph's life, this applies to us, the children of God as well. I think he summarizes it so well here. He's talking to his brothers, Joseph is, and this is in chapter 50, verse 20. He says this, you, brothers, intended to harm me when you put me into slavery, and when I went into the prison, and when I was lied against and slandered, and and all those things. Like, you intended to harm me. They wanted to kill him, remember? You intended to harm me, but God intended to All of it, all of it, the good, the bad, the highs, the lows. He intended all of it for good. And he put him where he is so that he could do what God had prepared for him, the good works he had prepared for him. I see him telling his sons and his grandchildren this as the years go, to remind them of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. The story of Joseph is the story of God providing for his promises. The story of Joseph is the story of God providing for his promises. And it's not just in Joseph, but again, we look all throughout Genesis, and we see this time and time and time again. Because God promised Adam, promised him dominion and life, promises Noah that he won't you know, drown the, the world again, that any of those things will happen. He promises Abraham, land, that they'll become a great nation for children. And in Isaac and Jacob, that that promise is affirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed again. The fact is, is that God provides for his promises. When God promises us something, he will provide for those promises. It's true for you and me today. But if we don't take the time to slow down, to read God's word. That's what this whole series is about, is we need to know these stories not because they are stories and good fables and things to have good morals and whatever. These are real people living real lives meant to impact our lives today. So if we don't slow down enough and see what God is promising us, the children of God, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through the lineage of people who come and come and come, through the line of Jesus to us today, who enter into the family of God by grace, Through faith, if we don't stop and read the promises of God, how will we know them? How will we tell our children about the promises of God and the provision God has made in our lives for those promises? Do you see that? That's part of it, is us reminding our children of what God has done and what he will do for them. So I want to close doing something a little different today. I want to remind you of a couple promises of God because it's, it's important for us to keep those on our mind. And I, and, and I invite you just kind of, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, just take a moment, just close your eyes, kind of extend your hands out, because these promises are not meant to be taken or grabbed or, or stolen. They're freely given. They're meant for us to receive these promises. So I invite you, I'm, I'm going to read four of them real quick. And I want you to to ask God, like, what is the promise of God you need to focus on this week? To be reminded on so that you might see how God's providing for you, where you are in your story right now. So, as I read these, I want you to focus on God, what are you trying to tell me? Like, what is the promise I need to take hold of today so I might see your provision in my life? So, these are just a few promises of God. He promises to guide and to protect you. In Genesis 28, 15, he says, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. It's a promise of God to protect and to guide us. He promises that he is your God. In Genesis 17, 7, he says, I will always be your God, and the God of your descendants after you. He's always your God. He promises to go before you, in every circumstance, in every situation you're going to walk through that you're currently walking through, he promises to go before you. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic. For the Lord God will personally go ahead of you. He will not fail or abandon you. He promises to go before you. And finally, from the lips of Jesus, he promises you Provision. He promises you provision. Jesus says in Matthew 6, to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. He will be your provision. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the promises of God. God, as we read your word, just time and time again, we see the faithfulness of God, not just through the promises, but God, through the provision for those promises. God, we're grateful for these real people that that we're able to look back and see, God, what you told them, how how you walked them through their lives so that we might understand and see that that, that the things we're walking through in life, the good and the bad, the hard and the lighthearted, that it's all meant for our good. That Though people may intend to harm us or we may walk through situations that are hurtful or painful, that you mean it all for our good, God, it doesn't mean that those things are good or that they're uh, something we should enjoy, but God, give us the perspective that we might see your provision. Remind us that, that your promises will precede your provision, that the more we remind ourselves of the promises of God, the more likely we are to see your provision, your hand, the things you put in our lives for our good. God, we don't desire to be people who who pretend things are okay, but God, rather be hopeful people because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we might see the things we walk through in life, not through a lens of anger and resentfulness and pain and bitterness, but God, that we might see it all as provision of God, that you give and you take away, but God, you restore because you're promise to us and your provision for that promise. God, we are grateful for your word. God, help us to live this out in our lives this week as we go to be mindful of your provision for us. So God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.